All right, how awesome was that, huh? Last week, tacos were good. I was living high off last week, it was so good. I just wanted to go to heaven after last week. It was great, it was awesome. Um, welcome everybody, my name is Aaron. I have the joy of serving as the pastor of our church and so glad to have you all with us today. And if you are new, we'd love to meet you after service at the 7 to Hangout, just put a face to the name and also Matt, uh, mention it, but a great way to kind of get connected and know your next steps here is to fill out the connection card and that way we can kind of know what you need in your journey with God. Uh, my family and I this past week had a chance to plan our summer camping vacation because I, I found out recently that like camping spots go like really fast the last couple years. And so we got our spots and we're gonna go up to Redwood National Forest. What's it called? Big Sur. Big Sur. <laughs> so bad. We need a date night. That's what we need without TVs. Okay, Polly Spice. Um, yeah, we're coming. Uh, we're going to Big Sur. But where did I get Redwood? Where did I get that from? There's some redwood trees there. Okay, so we're going to Big Sur. Who's been to Big Sur? Anybody? A few of you? Like everyone in the world? Okay, besides us? Okay, so we're going in July. Can't wait to go. And while we were looking at that, I read a hiking story that made me chuckle that I wanted to read to you. This is a true story. Uh, at the end of a hiking trail in Wyoming, a forest ranger put a suggestion box. Uh-oh. Suggestion box, never a good idea. For travelers to communicate any issues on the trails they experience. I want to read four of them to you. Here they are. Number one, there are too many bugs and spiders in the park. Okay. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, and number two, please pave the trails. I love that one. I like this one. Number three, there are too many rocks in the mountains. Like, thank you for stating the obvious. You know, we know there are a lot of rocks in the mountain. I think, isn't a mountain a rock? I mean, you know? And then lastly, my favorite, the trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Wow. Wow. I mean, okay, so this is funny. We chuckle at this, but this is exactly kind of an illustration of what we often do in our life, which is to choose the path of least resistance in our lives, right? Uh, we often do that in many areas. Uh, these hikers who wanted to go to the trails, they wanted the Instagram moment, they wanted the picturesque you know, scene, they wanted tranquility in the mountains, but they weren't prepared for what, required of them, what was required of them when they got on the trail. And the same issue plays out in many areas of our life, including love, including love. We all want love. We all want to be connected into a community. We want to have relationships that are significant. We want to have marriages that are healthy. We want to be part of communities that where we feel like they know us and we know them. We want the joy of romantic relationships. We want that. But the problem is for all of us, especially real love, is that it requires something of us. Real love requires something of us. Now that's not a premise that many of us Want to, want to know or want. It's not very attractive, especially in a consumeristic culture in America. Love requires something of you. Love requires something of me. This is our second week in the series called Transform. It's a series where we're going through Romans chapter 12 through 16, looking at how God wants to transform our lives, become more and more the people he wants us to become. And the theme first for our passage or for our series is Romans 12, 2. And it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now take a look at this verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a pattern of thinking that the world has, and we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which means that we're going to have to think differently about certain subjects. And so the world has a different thought pattern to what love is, 
and the Bible has a different thought pattern to what love is. Those two things um, oftentimes don't agree, sometimes they do agree, but we have to think about love in a different way. The world thinks about love in a way that um, isn't always in line with Scripture. Uh, the world thinks that love oftentimes is just a feeling. We hear that a lot, that love is something that you just feel. Oftentimes in the world, love doesn't require any action. It, there's no commitment involved. There's no boundaries involved. And the one thing we hear a lot about in this day and age is that love exists in you. It's sourced in you. The source of love is found only in your heart. And that sounds like a Hallmark card. might be a little bit of truth in that. But that's not exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually raises the bar on love. It actually raises the bar on love. The bar, uh, the bar gets pretty high in the scriptures about what love is about. In fact, the Bible says that love is an action, not just a feeling. It's something that we have to do. People know that we love them by what we do uh, for them or to them. The Bible says that love is um, something that has boundaries to it, that it's also uh, best expressed in commitment, and that love ultimately is sourced in God, not in ourselves. That God loves each one of us, and he demonstrated that by sending us Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And we can love other people through his love because he loved us first. And so what does it require of us? What does love require of us in the Bible, like those hiking trails required of those hikers? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is going to outline for us in our section in Romans chapter 12 today. The author Paul has 12, or rather 15, different ways that we can love each other. Now that phrase, 15 ways to love, sounds like a Taylor Swift album title, you know what I mean? But there are 15 ways to love, and we're going to look at it right now and find out exactly what the requirements of love are in the Bible in Romans chapter 12. So if your Bibles, turn there with me, and we're in verses 9 through 21. 9 through 21, and I'll begin reading, and I'm going to read the first about seven verses, and then we're going to break that down, and then read the last of it at the end. Here's what it says, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, there's a lot there, right? That's a big list of how to love. That's only seven of the 15 ways to love. And I want you to picture this passage as a junk drawer, okay? Um, and not to diminish its importance, I'll get to that in a moment, but picture your junk drawer. What's in your junk drawer right now? Most likely, if you're like me, you have a flashlight, screwdriver, Sharpie, that little paper clip chip thing that we don't have a name for, but we all use, right? And maybe some, some pens, whatever may be in there, but every junk drawer has stuff that you were looking for, stuff that you forgot, and stuff that you didn't know that you had, but you really needed, right? Every junk drawer has that. And so this passage is the junk drawer of the book of Romans. In it, you will find truths about love that you were looking for that you didn't know where to find, that you had forgotten, and that you didn't even know where they were, were and you really needed. And so today, as you hear this passage, I encourage you to not get overwhelmed by the 15 things we're to do to love, but to find one or two things as if you're going to your junk drawer to get that screwdriver you need for your kitchen appliance or whatever it may be. Find the one or two things that you need for your relationships. 
This passage is written in a punchy, pragmatic matter. There's not a lot of philosophy to it. It's really just punchy. And so the same way that Paul wrote this is the same way that I'm going to teach it. I'm just going to run through each one. We're going to spend one or two minutes on each of the, of the, of the exhortations, and I'm going to give you some applications for it at the very end. Okay, y'all with me? 15 things. This is breaking every rule in preaching possible. I got 15 points. Here we go. Number one, verse nine. Love must be sincere. The Greek word for sincere here is a word where we get hypocrites from. Greek actors in the first century wore two masks. One was for one side of the room, and they would act in a certain way for their profile. The other was the other side, and they could see the other profile. There were two different characters. And Paul says that we're not to love with hip or hypocrisy isn't to define our love. We're not to say, hey, I really like you, Kevin. You're a great guy. And on the back end go, I don't know. I don't like that guy over there, right? We're not to do that. We're not to be hypocritical about our love for one another. We're not to say, hey, I'm really excited you got the raise and then turn around to our other coworkers and say they don't deserve it. That is not the way that love is supposed to work. One of the saddest things that happens in the churches, or in Christian churches, that pastors hear is when people say, I used to worship at that church, but they were full of hypocrites. They were smiling and nice to me on Sundays, and then they were critical of me behind my back. See, that destroys the church. Hypocrisy destroys the church. It takes away all of the trustworthiness that we could ever have in our life. And so Paul says, love must be sincere. Love must be without hypocrisy. I can already say, just talking about that, we could probably spend a whole week or two just discussing that. I can see some nods. I'm speaking to you already. There are 15 things to love. That's only number one right there. But I just want to affirm you that this is a, a virtue that I see in you. I see this in this congregation. You are so sincere. You're so sincere, and I love that. I think that's one of the healthiest parts about our community after one year, that I see this, this sincere love happening in this church, and it's something that people comment about all the time. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love requires us to want to see good happen in people's lives. We need to have a motivation to see good happen in people's lives, and equally, we are to or, uh, loathe evil. We're to loathe when we see abuse in families. We're to loathe when we see domestic abuse. That's why we gave that money to Olive Crest, because they deal with some of that stuff. We are to loathe pornography. It objectifies women. It uh, you know, ruins marriages. It cheapens sex. We are to loathe and hate all those things, and we're to cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Verse 10, honor one another above yourself. The word love in this verse means brotherly love. Phileo love, Philadelphia. We're to treat each other as if we were brothers and sisters in a family. And to do that, we are to um, esteem and honor one another above ourselves. In the first century, one commentator said that people saw each other as competition for resources. Now, we don't have that in our day and age, right? People don't compete with each other at all. No, we do, right? That's what social media, why it's so toxic sometimes. It's because on social media, people are constantly seeing each other as, as, as competition, and I need to one-up you, and I need to be recognized, right? I, I got to be seen. If you're going to be, I got to be seen more than you, right? And so, but the Bible says that real love is about esteeming other people and making sure they get recognized and they're honored. And by the way, this is one of the most important principles for any marriage, any married couples in here. Uh, I tell couples that I do their, their weddings uh, and officiate their weddings that if you will wake up every single day and you'll say, my spouse today is the priority, and the other spouse says, no, you're the priority, you will always have love alive in your marriage. 
always. Now, it may not be the, 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 the peak. It may not be like puppy love all the time, but love will be kindled if each person says to the other, you're the priority. And that same principle kind of works out in all of life, right? Like if we're just other-centered and we say, you know what, like I want to be about you and not about me, we tend to be people who have, who have friends. We tend to be people who, have, who kind of attract the right kind of people, right? That's what Paul says. Be devoted to each other. Honor one another above yourself. You know that love's alive when we do that. Number four, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We can all agree that love is hard. Love takes work, right? And so Paul says that all of us are to keep our enthusiasm to love one another high and that we're all responsible for that. Back in the day, before everything was a plug-in USB you know, thing for, for batteries, we had little Duracell, you know, Energizer Bunny. You know. But when the batteries got low and they were in your remote, remote control or in a toy, that toy, that remote wouldn't click anymore, right? It wouldn't work as much. And the same thing's true for you and I. When our spiritual and emotional batteries are low, we lag in love. We lag behind in love. And so Paul says, be, don't la- lag in zeal for love. And so it's all of our responsibility individually to maintain the enthusiasm to love one another. So one thing I do is I take a regular Sabbath. Friday morning, 9 a.m., I shut down for 24 hours until Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And I don't answer text messages. I don't, I don't answer phone calls unless it's an extreme emergency. And I go spend time with Jesus. I go and I spend time in alone and quiet. I go on a walk. I take lots of naps on my, I take like two or three naps on my, as many naps as I can. I talked to Derek on the phone today or last week and he's like, hey man, call me back in 30 minutes. I was like, no man, I'll be on my couch taking a nap. Okay. And he's like, okay, cool. Thanks man. So I called you back later on though. And you know, so I take naps and then Friday night we have movie night at the house. We have pizza. And then at 9am on Saturday morning, I open up my message and I pray over it and I pray for each one of you by name for those who, uh, this is their home church. And Sunday morning, my love for you is fervent. Now you're not uh, a hard church to love, you're an easy church to love. But even more so, on Sunday morning when I sit down at the door or I'm in here, my heart is ready to love. And so each one of you has to be uh, mindful of how do you maintain the enthusiasm for the people in your life that you have to love. And what do you need to do to do that? Isn't that good? That's a good point right there. Never be lacking in zeal. This is a good list. 15 ways Taylor Swift's next album could be money if she follows this, okay? <laughs> Come on. All right. Be uh, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Most likely these three exhortations have to do with people who are struggling in our life. Anybody got any friends or family who are struggling in their life with an emotional problem, a financial problem, a, a sin they keep going back to? This is speaking to that. We are to be joyful in hope when someone we love has an illness um, and, and we're just hoping, joyfully hoping that they'll be healed one day or maybe a terminal illness and we are believing that one day they'll be healed by Jesus in heaven. We're to be joyful in that hope. We're to be patient in people's affliction is what it means. And so someone has the same kind of sin or maybe they return back to the same emotional trauma over and over again. You know, we're to be uh, patient in that affliction with them. And then we're to be faithful in prayer. And that word faithful means to be stubbornly devoted in prayer. You know, prayer only comes easy for like two people in this room, right? Like only two of you are like, man, I love prayer. I could pray all day. We should talk about prayer all the time. And God bless you. We're jealous of you. But for the rest of us, we need to be stubbornly devoted to prayer. It takes work to pray. 
and to pray for people who are struggling in our life. That's what we're to do in that one. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. And that's how you can understand these exhortations. Love is bringing a meal to somebody. Lorraine, thank you for the incredible food today. Whoever brought food, thank you. Can you raise your hand? Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for so good. I, and that's one of your gifts. You show hospitality. Thank you for bringing all of that. We are so appreciative of that. Love is texting somebody who you don't see at church after a few weeks. Uh, love is calling a friend when they're having a hard time. Love is giving. Um, practicing hospitality was a unique thing in the first century uh, because they didn't have hotels and they didn't have hospitals. And so people would come and they'd bring the sick and those in need of a, a place to stay to homes and they would welcome in strangers. And Paul says we're welcoming people into our life, people we don't know. So once someone last week in our life group said, hey, I don't know a lot of people in this church. And I just stated the obvious. And I said, well, we're a new church. Not a lot of people know each other at all. And so this is like the prime time. You can just use this whenever you want to. You just walk up to any stranger. You can say, hey, I don't know you, but I'm trying to get to know the people who go to my church. How about we go to lunch? How about we grab coffee? How about, um, I like what Derek says, break bread together. You know, I love that phrase. And that's what this is talking about. And we, I encourage you to invite people over and get to know the people in your church. And, and if you're waiting for someone to do that with you, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying you should do that for somebody else. Because that could change the church. Hospitality can change lives. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I can't think of a more powerful way to show love than to celebrate with somebody who has something to celebrate and to, to mourn with somebody who has something to mourn. So a few weeks ago, I told you that my son Cole took his first shot in basketball, right? He hadn't taken a shot in two years. Okay, for those who are new, he hadn't shot a basketball in two years in his, in, on his team, okay? And we were just like, take a shot, man. Just take a shot. Well, two weeks ago, he made a shot, okay? <laughs> he made a shot. We didn't catch it on the phone. We were like, it went in. It went in. It was amazing, you know? But he put his arms up in the air like he was LeBron James, who had just got the scoring title. He was leaping all the way to half court, and his teammates were high-fiving him. Chris and I were crying, you know? I mean, and we took him out to in and out afterwards, and we celebrated him. Well, I did that anyway, but it was because it made a good, good moment for him. But there's a, not a better way to show love than to celebrate somebody who has something to celebrate. And I have loved in this church seeing how many people are excited for the families who are expecting children this summer. We have um, seven families expecting babies this summer, so we need volunteers at Kids Ministry. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about that, and, and we mourn those families that are struggling with infertility, don't we? And we struggle with those who have adult children that they're estranged from. And we struggle with uh, couples that don't have kids but want kids. We struggle with um, anybody who wants children that doesn't have them. And we also mourn with people in this room who would love to be married. And you haven't found that right person. Like, we see you. And we, we recognize that. I wish I could just snap our fingers and then the right person would just sit right next to you. Because you're amazing. And I want you to know that. And that isn't in our capacity. But we feel that and we mourn that with people in our church. So we are to mourn and to grieve and to rejoice. Verse 16, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. This is a school cafeteria verse. You know the school cafeteria. You walk in, you scan it, 
to see who's cool, who's important, who I can fit in with, right? We all do that. And we do that in, in, in almost any room, especially in a church this size. And Paul says that for real love to exist, we aren't to actually put people in social classes. We're not to rank people. We're not to put people into, you know, we're not to have any partiality. I'm supposed to hang out with everybody, is what Paul's trying to say. And he calls us out. Don't be conceited. Don't think that you cannot, you can hang out with them. You can only hang out with them. No, we're to be a family, a body. And we're to do that same thing to people outside of the church walls as well. In verse 14 and 21, though, we get to the last eight exhortations. And each one of these has to deal with um, how we love people who don't love us back. How we love people who are toxic in our life or who have hurt us. And so I grouped them all together, but I want to read to you the whole paragraph. It says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Believe room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's my time to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with more evil? With good. Doesn't our world need to hear that one verse? Like, can we just put that on every news headline, every news station? Just, can we just put that out there? There's so much truth in here, and the main principle of this passage is the Christian doesn't retaliate with evil for evil. The Christian doesn't respond in an unkind word or unkind action with another unkind word. And that's really summarized in the phrase, do not repay evil for evil. Instead, we are to trust God that he'll take care of whatever evil they're doing. We're to trust God for whatever he wants to do, to discipline them. This is not something we talk about much in the Bible, but the Bible does say that God disciplines us at times. And, um, and we're to trust that God will deal with people in his own timing. We're not to deal with it in, our, in ours. And this is really the way of Jesus. And I want you to look at the screen right now to show you my favorite commercial from the Super Bowl this past year. Can we play this video? That's a powerful passage or message, isn't it? See, this, 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 this one section of scripture here is actually Jesus' summary. And if you want to read more in Matthew chapter 6 and 7, is the, the Sermon on the Mount summarizes that Jesus told us to love people that we have beef with, that we're to turn the other cheek. And so the, 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 the principle of this is that if possible, we're to do good to people, even those who do harm to us. It says this in verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, some of us have ex-spouses in the room. 
that have hurt us deeply. Maybe even people we're married to still. And I don't know the whole story, and I don't know what's happened in, in that situation, but the Bible teaches here that we are not to respond in kind when someone treats us poorly, if possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me. We are to do good and do, live at peace with that person. And the passage says that when we do good to them, it's like putting burning coals on their head. And that's an old school idiom for saying that you're going to win them over by doing good. That the only way to actually see change in their heart is to do good to people that have done harm to you. Now, now let me just say that nothing gets respond with, with evil by evil. And so what about abuse? What do we do about physical abuse or child abuse? And this passage is not saying to stay in that kind of a situation. I just want to be really clear. That if you are facing any kind of abuse in your marriage, or there's any children involved in abuse, that you need to separate and to leave and to get help and, and protect your kids especially. And this also isn't teaching that it's okay just to be bullied at work or bullied in your life at all. And when it says that to bless those who persecute you, it's, it's specifically speaking to someone harming you because of your faith in Jesus. And the Bible does say that if, if someone's bullying you because of your faith in Jesus, which does happen today, for you to actually bless them, there's no better way for you to win someone to Jesus than to love people who don't like you because of your faith. But this is not recommending that if you're being bullied at work for some random reason, that you just to be like a doormat and just take it. This is actually teaching that sometimes love has boundaries. You know, as far as it depends on you, sometimes it's not, it doesn't depend on you. Sometimes it depends on what the other person's doing and you need to have some boundaries to it. And so God wants us to love everybody, but sometimes we love some people from far away. Sometimes we love people at a distance. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And those are the 15 ways to love. Those are the 15 ways to love. Now, at the beginning of our, our talk, I mentioned that there's a requirement to love. And I'm sure at this point you feel that. And maybe there's relationships where you're sensing and thinking of, even just the feeling of the room right now, I get that sense. And so before you just kind of take off and begin to, to try this, I have a few pastoral thoughts for us. The first is this. Um, when you begin to live this out, you're going to be tempted to tell yourself, I tried and, it did, and it's too hard. I tried and it's too hard. I tried to, to do this with this person and I, it's way too hard. And so we need to have a mindset shift to this passage. And the first way to have a mindset shift is to have a training mindset versus a trying mindset. We need to change from having a trying mindset to having a training mindset. You all got that? Okay, let me illustrate. Imagine two people say, I'm going to go run a marathon. And one guy says, I'm going to go try to run a marathon. And one guy says, I'm going to train to run the marathon. Who do you think is actually going to finish the marathon? The guy who trains, right? The one who does five miles one week, and then 10 miles, and then 15 miles. And some of you have run marathons. You know it takes training. You can't just go show up. The person who tries to run the marathon probably is not going to finish. And so there's no easy way to, to love people. The world wants you to think just love is easy, but actually love, there's a lot of setbacks to it, a lot of hard work involved. And so to live this out, we need to have a mind shift from a trying mindset, I'm gonna to try to love this person, to a training mindset. So I want us to say that together, okay? I want us to say, I am being trained to love other people, all right? One, two, three. I am being trained to love other people. God is training you to love other people. So this past week, I was down uh, leaving uh, to go meet with Adam for coffee, 
and there was a homeless man on the street, and I was, had just studied this, and the way the Holy Spirit speaks to me, he said, Aaron, give him your lunch. And I made a really good lunch that day. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't want to give him my lunch, okay? And I was like, okay, but I'm going to, to try to live this out. And, and then I, I caught myself, and I go, no, 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 Aaron. This isn't me trying to do this. This is actually Jesus tr trying to train me to love people. I'm being, this is a training moment. I'm being trained to love people. So I pull up and I have my lunch and I say, hey man, you want my lunch? And he goes, oh, you know, no thanks. He turned me down. I was like, bro, my lunch is, I don't know if my lunch looked bad or what, but it was a training moment. And I, I, I drove away and it was like, Jesus was like, see Aaron, I just wanted to see if you would step into the training moment. See, there are training moments happening all in this room. If we, if we had like several days, I could just interview each one of you for like five minutes and be like, okay, tell me the relationships. There would be so many training moments that Jesus is inviting you to try to live this out together. We will have setbacks and we have to have a training mindset. Otherwise, you will not finish. You will not finish the race of running well, of loving people. And then we need to have a transformational mindset. So we have to have a training mindset and then a transformational mindset mindset. There are a group of girls in Texas at Baylor University who have chosen this verse as their theme verse for their sorority. One of our pastors at our Yorba Linda campus, his daughter is there, and she was the one in charge of choosing it. And that's amazing for that a sorority at Baylor is choosing this very verse to live out for the entire year in their college, in their sorority house. And I mean, I don't, I don't know what will happen in that sorority house, but I do know college students well enough from my history to know that I'm sure I'm sure that one of those girls is going to leave the dishes on the kitchen counter and someone's going to get frustrated. I'm sure that someone's going to play music when they study and someone's going to want it quiet when they study. I am sure that someone's not going to buy the groceries on time. I am sure that at some point, two of the girls are going to like the same guy. And I'm sure that someone's going to you know, say, I like you, and then turn around and be tempted to say, I don't really like her, right? I am sure that all that's going to take place in that sorority or the potential of it and yet they're saying, by choosing that very verse, they're saying, this could transform us if we live it out. This could transform this sorority if we live it out. Now I want you to think about your dorm, your home, your relationships, the people in your life, how transformational it could be for your marriage, for your parenting, for your workplace. If maybe someone calls you up and um, they've been trying to get over the same issue for years and years and years, and the world's pattern of love is they're never going to change, you give up on them. That's the world's pattern. They're never going to change, you give up on them. But what if you said, I'm being trained, and instead you said, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Think how that could change that person. If one person in their life was willing to dig in the heels and say, no, let's see what happens. Transformational mindset, training mindset. When you're busy and a friend calls you, and they're you know, having a hard day, and the world says, no, set boundaries, put your agenda first, get your stuff done. What if you said, no, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn? How transformational could it be for that individual on that phone call to have that conversation with them, right? And then finally, what if your spouse um, really digs at you one day, or maybe your ex-spouse does something unkind, or your boss is just a jerk, you know? And instead of retaliating, or gossiping, you say, if my enemy's hungry, I'll feed them. If they're thirsty, I'll give them something to drink. And in doing this, I will burn uh, burning coals on their head. That my love is going to actually win them over to the things that God wants them to do. Amen. This is hard, right? There's, no, there's going to be some setbacks. 
There's gonna be some difficulties, but we need to have a training mindset and a transformational mindset. Lastly, I guarantee you this week, as you try to lose out the enemy, our spiritual enemy is gonna to try to kind of come into your mind. And I think the, the phrase he's gonna use, if not already, if it's already happening in the room is, yeah, but. The yeah, but phrase. Yeah, but Aaron, you don't know. You don't know my boss, right? Come on, you don't know, you don't know my spouse. Yeah, but Aaron, you don't know my kids. Yeah, but you don't know uh, what happened a couple years ago with that person. Yeah, but Aaron, or maybe, yeah, but Aaron, why should I be the bigger person when I've been hurt? How about that one? Yeah, but, you know? And if you're thinking that, or when those thoughts come up, because they, they, they definitely will, I want you to speak to those thoughts with this phrase. Yeah, but Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus. Yeah, but I, I, they don't deserve it. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus. Because what Jesus is asking us of this passage is what Jesus did for you on the cross. What Jesus is asking us of this passage is the very thing that Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. I love what Isaiah 55 says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Think of that. Think of what Jesus did for us. The very things that we're being asked to do are the very things that Jesus did for all of us on the cross. Living these out aren't just going to change people, they're not just going to transform your friends, they're not just going to transform your marriage. Living these out will actually transform you. Because we're not just being trained to love, we're being transformed to love. We're being transformed to love people. And God wants today to free people from bitterness. He wants to free you from a lack of forgiveness. He wants to free you from, you know, a, a heart that just wants to hold on to the hurt and hopefully they get the hurt. I love what C.S. Lewis said about lack of forgiveness. It's like drinking poison and hoping your enemy dies, right? Like that's what lack of forgiveness does to our hearts. It actually hurts us. And this passage is reminding us that as we live this out, it's Jesus who did this for us and wants to free you and I from it all. So that's the junk drawer of Romans chapter 12. I want you to come back to that picture of the junk drawer. And I'm going to read the whole passage now in light of all that I said, so much was said. I, my prayer this message has been, you'll just take one thing. One thing. And so I'm going to read the passage in its entirety right now. And I want you to picture like you're walking up to your junk drawer, opening it up. And what's the one thing that you feel like you need to step into in training and transformation this coming week? So hear God's word again. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to revenge, says the Lord. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray? Father God, thank you for this timely teaching by Paul. Thank you for this word to us today. And now, friends, church, what is God saying to you? What are you to do? What are you supposed to live out of? What is God asking you in that junk drawer of important truths about love to be reminded of, to grab hold of? Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe there's something there that you have to act on. What is it that God is saying? And I personally recognize that in this room, all of us, there is no one spotless from any relational wounds or harm caused in our life. And so I personally want to just actually create a ministry moment and ask if this message is touching a, a part in your heart that you need prayer for, would you right now just raise your hand for me so that we can just pray for you, I can pray for you. The hands are going up, God bless you. I see you in the back, thank you, thank you. Yeah, all around there's some hands, thank you. Just that this, this passage is touching a, a heart and you're saying, I need to act on this, thank you. I need to pursue something out of this, thank you. So God with arms, raised up, hands up. God, we just recognize each of these individuals who are saying there's some relational things happening. And God, would you free them? Would you minister to them? We just pray, come Holy Spirit right now that you would set them free and give them their